It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Hook them up with he and Rod P. Brought to you by Bud Light on the Horn. Appreciate your comments and conversation on the text line. 447-3776. It says uh, a lot of comments coming in. This is Aggies need to go after Lane Kiffin. We'll see. We'll start mm. taking your – we asked for the Aggie fans who, who you would choose. And if you're a Longhorn fans, who would you like? Now that you're going to be playing the Aggies every year again, starting next mm. year, who would you like them to choose? Yeah. Because at this point you'd like them to screw it up again. Of course. So this is what they're saying, Lane Kiffin will screw it up, or they like actually do like Lane Kiffin. Is it an Aggie or someone they like, or they – don't want for the job. That's the thing about it, right? You're asking both. Yes. Who would you, as a Longhorn fan, who would you most dread getting that job because they would make <laughs> Longhorns uh, fans life hell because you got to face them and you got to deal with them in recruiting, uh, obviously. Um, and who would be the right hire for the Aggies? Uh, and then right, the wrong hire, I should say, for yeah. the Aggies, too. Yeah, on for top sure. of that. Uh, so take, who's the right hire and who would be the wrong hire? Lane Kiffin. He would be the wrong hire. I think he'd be the wrong hire. But but that Cole, for Long, I don't think that's a fit. For Longhorn fans, that'd be good. You want to hire Lane Kiffin. He's got a big mouth, talks a lot of trash, you know, he's brash and cocky. But I don't know if he's a championship level coach. Well, they got smacked by Georgia on Saturday, not surprisingly, and after the game they asked Lane Kiffin, you know, what's it gonna take for you guys to win some of these big games? And he says, How about this? He said recruiting. Exactly. He said, I think we have twenty four one five star, they have twenty four. Yeah. So and he that, basically and, and, <laughs> I mean, seriously, why, why, why don't you talk about coaching? Yeah. It ain't the coach, coach has got nothing to do with it. It's all players. Well, he said recruiting. Mm-hmm. Which, yeah. again, okay. I mean, I, he's okay, probably well. – a big picture, he might be right about the, the, the talent is a problem. Yeah, Same time – That's not, the, you, you that's gotta, not the answer you're supposed to give. Yeah, that's kind of throwing your current team under the bus. Exactly. You just, <laughs> you just say – but you said your locker room's not good enough. Yeah, we're, on, not, we're not as good as them. You should just throw out yeah, – Even nah, though you we, probably spent the whole week trying to t- convince your team that they're good enough. We're good enough. <laughs> and then now you're going to throw them all under the bus. And not going to mention, by the way, the code that could be coaching inadequacy. You know there is. It has to be to get Come on. that bad. Yeah. Uh, how about Gary Patterson? Somebody said. There you go. Uh, no, I don't like that. Yes. <laughs> I wouldn't like that. I wouldn't. Now Gary Patterson, we he's never because he was at TCU obviously and did a, an amazing job, became a Hall of Fame coach there, and had a his blueprint and formula was so unique because at TCU he wasn't trying to get the five stars. He wasn't trying to get, you know, the top blue chip players in the country. He was trying to find the hidden gems. And then he was all about development being their kind of key quality as a program. They will take the hidden gems that other teams don't want with elite traits. And they'll develop those guys into NFL players and high, uh, high caliber, all conference type players. And it worked at TCU. That was his formula. That won't be the formula at A&M, well, and I think, but I don't know if it'll – he still can de- – developing talent is, is one thing that will translate. He can develop talent, and he's actually you know, one of the brightest minds in football too, well, in college football. He is, and I would also say that, uh, you know, they hired Jimbo because he had a national championship, right, and they overpaid mm-hmm. him to start with. Uh, that, yeah, that can't be the criteria. Now, that's nice that you won a national championship. There are very few coaches out there that have one. Yeah. 
Uh, but you're looking, and you know, you're not you're going to hear an Aggie say we want to do look do what Texas did. But they're going to look for their Sark, right? A younger coach who can who who fits the program, uh, who can fit the state of Texas, who can recruit, connect with young people, uh, and and you know, his best years are to come. I mean, to me, that's what you're kind of looking for, right? That's when when Oregon went and hired Dan Lanning. You're looking for a young coach mm-hmm. who fits your program, and and his best years are coming. His best years are, are ascending, as you say, Rod. Uh, so is that Jeff Trailer? right? Jeff Trailer has shown he can win everywhere. That is uh, high school, college, he's taken a UTSA program, which was pretty much dormant, and, you know, has been over the last six years. They've won you know, two, three conference championships, and they're again going to win the conference again. Uh, he's going to – he wins. But is that a big enough name? Because then you're going to hear the names Urban Meyer and Deion mm. Sanders, and, you know, those conversations are going to be had. If you're an Aggie, you've got you to get this right. I mean, maybe it's Mike Elko. Who that, that that locker room that the guys that are still there a lot of them already love that guy for what he did when he was the defensive coordinator before leaving for Duke that's going to be a name that you have to consider uh, so we'll see Kalen DeBoer at Washington Dan Lanning at Oregon I don't think they'd leave but at the same time A and M does have a lot of money and it is the Southeastern Conference so yeah. uh, all things to watch for and uh, we'll certainly talk about it with you this says E put tap the brakes on Dak Prescott. Uh, he's playing against bad teams. Look, all I'm saying is I've watched Dak his whole career. You know, if you listen to the to the mornings, uh, that's this is the most in control I've seen him play. Uh, he and yes, it was against the Giants, but this since coming out of the bye week, he has been. It just seems like a more assertive, different Dak to me. Well, and maybe I should say it this way: since the injury, right? Since he came back from the leg injury, this mm-hmm. is the most confident I've seen Dak Prescott. Uh, and that's look, that was the offseason intention of Mike McCarthy to it build was. an offense around the quarterback. Yeah. That was going to make him feel the most comfortable. Does that mean they're going to beat the Niners in January? Probably not. But I don't still. know. <laughs> <laughs> I know. The observation I know. is it's the best I've I, ever seen. This I'll guy. tell you guys, probably not. <laughs> Just like it's like I do, the Niners will come out and whip them Jags. I can tell you, I'm close to it. Not. Yes. <laughs> they're on a different level than the Cowboys right now. Jaguars they mean the Cowboys right. aren't playing good, but yeah, different level. There were some impressive things from the NFL yesterday. And let's keep in mind, yesterday in the NFL, they didn't have. Eagles didn't play, Chiefs didn't play, Dolphins didn't play. So three of the big headline teams were off. But man, um, there was—I mean, there, there's 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 good individual performances and guys that make you say wow. But at the same time, you watch the Niners play, the whole team makes you go wow. Yeah, they're on a different level. Damn, that yeah. is that when fresh off a of bye week with a week to prepare, adding Chase Young, getting Debo Samuel back uh, to go with George Kittle mm-hmm. and Christian McCaffrey and Brandon Ayuk and. I mean, it's just uh, that when that team's healthy, and they, look, there's no guarantee they'll stay healthy. Exactly. That's the, other that's the thing about it, yeah. <laughs> As we know, that's football. That's the Longhorns. And that's why it's tough to win a Super Bowl because yes. you've got to be that healthy for that game. Yeah, because uh, I remember Sark was literally saying just a week ago, everybody's practicing. We were like, this is the healthiest they've been. And then a week later, that's football. <laughs> this, we were just talking about the Longhorns being the healthiest they've been, and now we're talking about a catastrophic injury that is going to change the whole complexion yeah. of the offense. That's what happens in football. We said the same thing about the 49ers, right? They look great to start the season. Like, oh, man, I don't know if anybody's going to be able to beat these 49ers. They look unbeatable. A couple of injuries, lose three in a row. Yeah, you lose, <laughs> right? it's like, yeah, lose your all-pro left tackle, lose Debo Samuel. It don't lose take a long. couple of guys, and all of a sudden you come back to the pack a little bit. Exactly. It doesn't uh, take long, man, man. When they're at full go, it is a jug or not. Yes. Hey, uh, speaking of that injury, let's get you caught up on the news of the morning because there's plenty of good news in Longhorn Nation, but there's certainly some bad one. Bad news. Let's get to it. Top Gun Rentals and Lot Equipment bring you the top stories. College football after getting out of Fort Worth with that 
Hang on win over TCU Saturday night. Longhorns sitting alone atop the Big 12 regular season standings with two regular season games remaining. Longhorns are 6-1. and one, Only one lost team in the conference right now. They're 9-1 and one overall. They check in once again number 7 in the latest AP Top 25, which is mostly unchanged at the top. Uh, Georgia, Michigan, Ohio State, Florida State, and Washington. Texas still behind Oregon as uh, the top one loss team. Not all good news for Texas, however, on this Monday. Official word from UT yesterday that the dynamic running back Jonathan Brooks will be out for the remainder of the year. Suffered a torn ACL in his right knee during the second half of Saturday night's win. He was a sophomore from Hallettsville, was on to, off to another huge game Saturday before that injury, simply adding to many's belief that he was emerging as the front runner for the Doak Walker Award nationally. Uh, bad news for Texas, obviously, and uh, shame for Jonathan. We'll hear more from Texas head coach Steve Sarkeesian this morning, 11 a.m. during his weekly media availability as they now turn their attention to a trip to Ames, Iowa this Saturday to face Iowa State. Major news out of College Station yesterday morning as well. Word from Texas A&M Athletic Director Ross Bjork that Jimbo Fisher has been dismissed as the program's head coach after nearly six seasons in charge. School still owes the 58-year-old a buyout worth more than $75 million. Fisher still has eight years remaining on a guaranteed contract he signed back in 2021. 20% of that remaining dollars will be due within 30 days. The rest will be made in installments. Aggies uh, beat Mississippi State on Saturday to get to 6-4 uh, and four on the year, but they've gone 9-13 and 13 since uh, that extension was signed. Have not won a conference road game in more than two years. Associate head coach Elijah Robinson expected to serve as the team's interim head coach for the remainder of the year. One other coaching note, Penn State has fired their offensive coordinator Mike Yursich after that ugly offensive performance against Michigan. On Saturday, NFL Dak Prescott needed his red-hot stretch. Cowboys defense continues to dominate. Uh, yesterday in Arlington, the Cowboys wall up the Giants for the second time this year, 49-17. Prescott threw for 404 and four touchdowns, ran for another score. That's their. Uh, uh, they beat, of course, the Giants 40 to nothing earlier in the year. How about C.J. Stroud and the Houston Texans? They improved to five and four on the year. Dramatic 30 to 27 road win in Cincinnati. Uh, Stroud led the Texans on a game-winning field goal drive, finished with 356 passing yards. Other Week 10 highlights: Cleveland. Rally from 24-9 down on the second half to top Boston, Baltimore in Baltimore, 33-31. Uh, San Francisco came out of the bye week and demolished the Jaguars in Jacksonville, 34-3. Detroit improved to 7-2 with a last-second field goal to top the Chargers in a shootout, 41 38 and Kyler Murray returned from last year's knee injury to lead the Arizona Cardinals to a win over Atlanta 25-23 Sunday night football last night Raiders now 2-0 under interim head coach Andy Antonio Pierce they beat the Jets 16-13 the primetime under came in again week 10 wraps up tonight Bills hosting Broncos on Monday night football how about the NBA Dallas and Houston big wins yes last night Mavericks top New Orleans they've opened the season 8-2 for Jason Kidd meanwhile the Rockets lost their first three games of the regular season they haven't lost since they've won six in a row beat the Nuggets last night 107-104 Spurs lost at home to Miami and baseball Astros we're gonna have a news conference 11 a.m. this morning to introduce Joe Espada as the team's new manager the 48 year old had been the seen as the front runner as the bench coach of the team when Dusty Baker announced his retirement at the end of the year Horn headlines brought to you by Top Gun Rentals and Lawn Equipment. Double up discounts this month by getting 5% off any rental or purchase of steel outdoor power equipment by donating two non-perishable food items for the Capital Area Food Bank. Topgun.net, we'll shoot you straight. Yeah, to your uh, point about Dak Prescott, his, uh, right now he, he has um, a third-best QBR in the NFL behind Josh Allen and Brock Purdy. He had a 97.2 QBR on Sunday, the best single-game uh, QBR for a quarterback in the NFL this season. So a lot of people are like, oh, it's the Giants. Yes, the Giants are terrible. They are horrible. <laughs> They're really bad. Um, but there are a lot of teams that have faced bad teams this year, and they haven't performed. 640 offensive yards. Right. Yes, they haven't performed to that level. So, yes, I get it. 
you know, you want to see Dak do that against elite teams. But, man, that, that, this kind of big Dak energy, uh, we, I'm agreeing with E. I don't know if you've really seen him on the stretch like this over four games well, in a really long time, if, if ever. If ever. Well, because remember, ever. again, we've all been covering this, uh, this career, but, you know, he was drafted on a run-based team to, you know, and came out of nowhere as a revelation when Tony Romo got hurt. And then the conversation was, were they building the offense, you know, to, to, to be a game manager? But, you know, I've never seen Dak play like – he looks like one of the elite quarterbacks of the league. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's had stretches, but, man, it's not just the Giants game. He played great against Philadelphia. I mean, look, I mean, Philadelphia is the best team in the in possibly the NFL, and he threw for 370. I mean, that's what I'm talking about. I know the Eagles' pass defense is a little bit leaky, but coming out of the bye week, the Rams, Eagles, Giants games, he's been as good as he's ever looked. Uh, and it gets, it's just the decisiveness and just the, the control he has of that offense. You can tell he's more – has more input on what the game plan is going to be week to week, mm-hmm. and then he goes and executes it. Yep. You're right. I mean, it's a, the litmus test is January. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying I, I see a difference in Dak. They still need a better running game. Uh, big picture. Might be their fatal flaw. Rod, real quick before we get to your rant. Yes, sir. Uh, the hit on C.J. Baxter. Excuse me. The hit on uh, Jonathan Brooks. We'll talk about C.J. Baxter. Yeah. And was it dirty? I don't think it was dirty. I, th- I think it was football. I, yeah, I just think he – yeah, I mean, did, did he kind of roll it? Yeah, like the gator roll? That's actually a technique that coaches teach. Yeah. They, they call it the gator roll. <laughs> you tackle a guy and then you roll. So, I, listen, I know people I think it was dirty. I don't think it was dirty, and I don't think that was that's, – that's not how – players do not, not from what I remember in playing uh, at any level, college or the NFL, look to go out there and just ro- tear, tear guys ACL. Well, I like how you said gator roll because, look, this is a guy who leads the, NFL, the college football in missed tackles for right? Yeah. And he's forced a bunch of missed tackles. You get your, you get your, get, get your hands on him, get him down. Man, you got to hold on for dear life to that dude. So, I, like I said, it's a technique coaches teach, and I, I've never really known anybody going out there saying, no, nah, I want to injure this guy and take him out. of the. I want to – basically, I want to end his season. He's like, you know, I want to go out there and intimidate. I want to be physical. I want guys to feel my presence. But you don't want to end a guy's season. So I don't think that was the intention of well, the young And man obviously the shame for Jonathan is, you know, he may still win some national awards for the season he's posted through 10 weeks. Uh, yeah. so, and he may be all Big 12. We'll see. I mean, that would be an honor. But the problem is this year you don't have him for the rest of the year. I mean, if you make the college football playoff, you now don't have Jonathan Brooks. You need him. Oh, critical, critical. You need him. He is a massive piece and he's maybe their MVP. And it's also going to impact next year for him. I mean, this is a November injury, Rod. This is one of those yeah. that, you know, you know, we just saw Kyler Murray finally back after 11 months for the Arizona Cardinals playing quarterback yesterday. That was pretty quick. <laughs> uh, and that's inside a year. Yeah. So this happens on November the 12th or 11th. Uh, whenever he has the surgery, you know, swelling comes down. It's just a shame, and you hate it for a young guy that's worked his tail off. Uh, hurts this team, and it may have, likely will impact him next year uh, as far oh, as his availability. No doubt. I mean, and uh, draft prospect. I mean, he's a guy that was considered to be the top running back taken off the board if he had left this year. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's a shame. Hey, can we uh, – but came in a huge – he played huge to help the Longhorns build that lead that oh, they no. then held yeah, on to. Yeah, unbelievable. Let's get Rod's rant, first one of two this morning in our five-hour conversation. It took him up with Ian Rod B. Rod's Rant of the Day is brought to you by Apple Leasing, the easiest and safest way to get a new car. Any make, any model. Click AppleLeasing.com and experience how easy it is. I'm as mad as hell, and I'm not going to take this anymore. Find out what happens when people stop being polite and start getting real. You ain't keeping it real. My God, okay, it's happening. Everybody stay calm. Oh, you've done it now. It's time for Rod's Rant of the Day. Hold on to your butts. 
All right, let's talk about the uh, Texas defense really quickly. And people want to know what's happening to the Texas defense, right, late in these stretches. Um, how are teams able to exploit the Texas defense, move the football in the passing game? Give, a, give some credit to TCU, by the way. They, we, I thought they would abandon the running game, really come out and never even establish it. And early on, I, they did take that approach in the first half. Uh, in the second half, they came out and still decided, even down 20, they were going to run the football against Texas. I think they actually surprised Texas a little bit, too, uh, them staying that balanced. I did not expect them to run the football to an extent, and maybe because Texas had a light box the entire second half because they played with a 20-point lead. So they were playing with two high, uh, two deep safeties a lot of the time, and they invited the run game for TCU. Uh, but TCU decided to stay balanced. But one thing that starting to on a rear its ugly head again, and this is something I, I talked about last season, and we got into it a little bit last week actually and then actually we've been talking about this since the u of h game i should say the u of h game is probably when um this became a bigger issue u of h did a great job game planning against the texas secondary and they had a lot of inside breaking routes remember all the inside cuts the drag routes the crossing routes uh the the overs the unders the uh the post route the slants i mean they just they just really exposed texas lack of inside leverage and teams have really sensed that U of H game, they've kind of taken that uh, game plan and utilized it in their own way, creatively deciding to use a lot of inside cuts. And the same thing in this game versus TCU, tons of inside cuts and inside breaking routes. Um, I, got tech, I got Texas allowing over 10 yards per attempt on uh, inside cuts versus TCU. This is inside breaking routes, 80% completion percentage for Hoover throwing inside breaking routes. This is something Texas has got to figure out. they got to figure out when they need to be inside leverage and when they have help, what they call hold help, which is a guy on the inside that can catch those inside breaking routes. Also, this is Texas um, communication issues, once again, um, coming up because Texas isn't passing off these routes successfully in coverage. And these inside routes are crossers or drag routes that Texas is anticipating. I'm going to pass this off to another defender inside, and then there's no defense. Um, so that came back. And that's been the case, by the way, going into that TCU game. Teams were completing the last – if you look at the last three games prior to that, all right, talking about U of H, BYU, K-State, teams were completing like over 70% of their inside cuts, inside breaking routes for 12 yards per attempt, explosive play rate, of over 35%, meaning a 15-plus yard play. Um, that's a problem for Texas. And it's an issue because I think the, the, the whole players aren't picking up the crossing routes. Also, Texas DBs at times uh, miscommunicating about when to pass off routes in coverage and then the lack of inside leverage. So it's multifactorial, but Texas got to figure that out defensively. Um, because that's part of the reason teams are just able to, you know, make such big splash chunk yardage plays in the second half. And if you have, have you noticed how quickly teams are scoring against the Texas defense when they do actually find something to expose? <laughs> They're scoring fast. Like, it takes like two and a half minutes. Are, are you noticing? Yeah, I think Longer fans, I'm, we're getting the right? messages. They, no, they're noticing. <laughs> shout out to my man uh, uh, Nash at Nash Talks Texas because he uh, brought it up via Twitter. Um, since the Oklahoma game, Texas has allowed 14 touchdowns. Ten of those drives were uh, less than two and a half minutes of game clock. Teams score quickly because of these I'm talking chunk yardage plays we're talking about. That's why they're scoring quickly. It'd be different if you were forcing teams to put together seven, and, and sometimes they do it. TCU did, right, a long, sustained drive. The one they didn't score on. The one they didn't score on. And give to Texas defense credit because Texas is – 
clutch in uh, critical moments, like third down defense, best third down defense in the country right now. All right, best one of the best red zone defense, top three red zone defense right now in the country. So give them props. They're showing up when they have to. Um, but the reason that these teams are moving the football so effectively and able to just throw the football down the field is because Texas is struggling right now to defend these inside breaking routes. And ever since U of H did it successfully, every team has decided, all right, you know what, inside breaking routes, let's go. Inside breaking routes. Texas got to figure that out. Also something Texas has struggled with all season long, um, has been targets to bunch formation. Uh, they broke it out again, too. They used a lot of targets to bunch. They would go empty, and they'd have these uh, clustered groups of receivers, um, and they would throw to targets to bunch a lot of times to Savion Williams, who was just uh, fantastic for them. Um, you're talking about over 88% completion percentage when they were targets to bunch formation. That's something Texas has struggled with all season long. We saw that happen in the, uh, the Bama game. Texas struggled with targets to bunch formation. They struggled with it um, in the Oklahoma game. Game, it was an issue for Texas. Um, hell, even in the U of H game, it was a huge issue for Texas. I got Texas going into that TCU game, um, 78% completion percentage against um, tar with against targets to bunch. And you're talking about right now, uh, you know, at least going into that game over 12 yards per attempt when they were targeting bunch formation. So the same issues that have the defense has struggled with. Not improving, Rod. It's not getting better. No, no, it's not getting better. Two-minute defense, they, they get better. They got a pick in two-minute defense. They did. That was big. They got a pick. Well, look, defense. I mean. So that is improving. Yeah, that's, yeah. that's concerning. And, um, you know, we'll start looking into this Iowa State team and what they do with Rocco back oh, in breaking routes. You know what they did last season? In breaking routes. Is it Xavier Hutchinson? A lot of in breaking routes, but they are the ones that exposed Texas last season in targets to bunch formations. With Xavier Hutchinson. They're the ones who did it. They broke it out, and they probably had more success. I'll give you my notes uh, next time we break this down, but they probably had more success than any other team targeting bunch formations. Last year, you're right, it was Xavier Hutchinson who probably lost that game off of that dropped touchdown or dropped potential touchdown that he had against the Texas. Late, late turnover forced yep. by Jalen Ford and uh, Anthony Cook last year. So, yeah, you can expect another close game. As we said, there are now some uh, – some things we know, right? I mean, we're we're, oh. we're built on habits, and the Longhorns are a team who are going to take a, a, a game that shouldn't be close, and it's going to become close. But that's you know, as you said, you'll be you'll be, you'll enjoy this team more if you just accept that. Uh, and I, the other part of that is there's, there's another team playing, and the, the, what I'll give Sonny Dykes credit for is his team never stopped playing. They could have folded it up and gone they home. They did. Uh, they yeah. they they played good ball, and you know, at the end of the day, uh, you know, Texas. This game came down to TCU mistakes or forced mistakes by Texas on TCU who are a mistake-prone team. If you look at the interception right before the half, uh, the penalties in the first half that derailed drives for TCU. Sonny Dykes would tell you that, you know, when, when you remember when Vernon Broughton sh pretty much shut a drive down for them when he you know, oh, beat yeah. the center off the face. And, yeah. you know, those are, those are things where TCU is saying, we, we're, we're killing ourselves here, guys. Uh, we're missing blocks. We're throwing interceptions. And in the third and fourth quarter, they didn't make those mistakes, mm -hmm. quite honestly. And so sometimes I think it was we talked during the week for five hours and then pregame shows – you know, you say things, Rod, and then we talk about this is a good team with five losses. Yeah. Mean, uh, now you got to watch the games and see how they're losing. And and go, I think people. Yeah. So what does that mean? Well, they have good players. Yep. And they're losing games because they make mistakes. Boom. And why is Texas a good team? They have good players and they make some mistakes, but then they make huge plays in huge, huge moments of mm -hmm. games. And that's that's when you say they're a, Texas is a flawed team. They are flawed, uh, but they. 
They overcome their flaws, mm-hmm. and that's what makes them a 9-1 and team that you should enjoy. It's going to give you a cardiac arrest. Yes, I get it. It's going to make you, yeah. your hair come out. But, man, this is, this is the high-water mark for the program in the last 15 years. Yeah, and once you accept who they are, once you accept their, their faults, and once you accept their, you know, the, the, the liabilities at times uh, within the, uh, the offense and within the defense, then you can enjoy the experience a little bit more because they're not going to change overnight and become a complete team. They're not going to become a dominant team. They are what they are, but they're still 9-1 and because they're clutching critical moments. So I've, been, I've enjoyed the last three weeks. Lohan fans probably have not. I've enjoyed it because now I know who they are. After the U of H game, I started coming here saying the same thing. Guys, this is who they are. I've watched enough film on them. They, they're going to give they, – they're going to have lapses. And you were talking about this even after the Bama game. They have – you called them like the Golden State Warriors. You said they'll have this. This, 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 uh, yes, this stretch where they go supernova on you and they get so hot as a team that they just separate themselves. And it, it rang true because in the, in the Wyoming game, what happened? Oh, man, they played a lull of a game and then they had that spurt, that stretch you're talking about they had in the fourth quarter. So they're going to have that. And what we found now is sometimes it comes early. Sometimes it comes in the second quarter. But just like they're going to have the spurt of spectacular, they're also going to have that lull and lapse. And that's and just like you, you don't know when you're going to get either. Hopefully, yeah, and hopefully you can hold on. Hopefully, exactly. Hopefully you can hang on. Well, we've uh, seen that's them, it. We've seen them come from behind in games. We've seen them, you know, break yeah. games open. And you're right. The spurt in this game came in the second quarter when it was seven to six, and all exactly. of a sudden it was twenty six to six. There you go. And <laughs> right at the end of that first half, we were yeah. like, "Damn, okay, they separated." Yeah, they go on an eighty five yard drive, stick in the end zone. Quinn makes a bunch of big third down yeah. conversions, and, and then, then they get the, the pick. And, and, and then when the low come. Like the end of the third, Into beginning the of the fourth. <laughs> the low, you like. So you know the lull's coming. Your hope is that the lull comes earlier and you don't have it late because now the lull's coming late. It's coming in the fourth quarter for them, yeah. right? The lapses are coming in the fourth quarter, and that's why Longhorn fans are getting nervous. They're thinking, guys, you guys are trending toward a loss because your lapses are coming in the fourth quarter when you're supposed it's, to have your clutch critical and it moments. Is, it's not wrong to say I'm enjoying this team, but it's going to cost them at some point. Oh, it yeah, will, you, can't, you can't just keep walking this tightrope and never think you're going to fall off of it. No, you're going to fall co- off of it at one point. The coin is eventually going to flip the tails. It just yes, is. And it just, yeah, you can't. Uh, well, look, ask Sonny Dykes. He's living La Vida Loca here, man. Well, look, TCU <laughs> rode this coin flip thing to the national championship game last year. I remember and that. And it came to an end for them, Rod, in overtime against K-State in the Big 12 championship game. Mm-hmm. That's where the coin flip game ended for them. Yeah, the football guys. And they didn't win the championship. You're right. Um, so, all right, we'll take your thoughts. The Longhorns, fun to watch, but, yes, uh, can be exasperating at times. Also, Cowboys, same thing. They're playing great. C.J. Stroud uh, is a wow talent. Stroud. Fun to watch him, too. We're talking all things on a Monday. The good, the bad, and the ugly from your weekend. Aggies need a new head coach, and might need to borrow, take out a loan to pay off Jimbo Fisher. <laughs> We're talking about it with you on Hook Up with Ian Rodby. Aaron Hogan, Rod Babers, Hook Em Up, 1019 AM 1260, The Horn. Oh, welcome back. Hook Em Up with Ian Rod B on a Monday. Ty Henderson, our producer back at the Horn headquarters. Ty, how we doing back there in... Uh, off of 360, the banks of, of uh, 360. Everything good there it's, at the home headquarters? We're here on the Onion Creek headquarters. It's, it's, it's good over here. Had a good weekend. So, feel, yeah, feel, feeling good you, on a Monday. Uh, uh, feeling good. Yeah, you, your yeah, Cowboys indeed. were your gold star lock pick, and they uh, annihilated the uh, New York football Giants, eviscerated for the second time this year, emasculated Brian Dayball. <laughs> I mean, Brian Dayball's got to feel like, man, Mike McCarthy's my daddy. 
<laughs> he just punked us twice. Uh, I know it was Tommy DeVito playing quarterback, and that was a, a joke in itself. But uh, uh, Cowboys get wins. Texans get a win. Longhorns get a win. Aggies are are crying in their beer a little bit, but uh, maybe happy. Maybe there's some happiness in Aggie land that the change was made and the bullet was bitten and uh, the Jimbo Fisher contract is going to be bought out and they're seeking new leadership. But, Ty, while you're there, can you play? I just sent you the, uh, the Viking fence defensive play of the game. And it's the first time, you know, we've been giving away the Viking fence defensive play of the game, Rod, for years and years and years on the morning show. And this is the first time it actually comes based on an offensive play. Can nice. You, can we play this from, uh, from, from uh, the game on Saturday night, Ty? This is the, uh, the defensive play of the game, though, that started in Quinn Ewers' hands. Quinn Ewers from the shotgun on third down. Back to throw. Looks. He's going deep for A.D. Mitchell downfield. He caught it. Oh, what a catch. A.D. Mitchell, a dagger in the heart. And the Longhorns are closing the gap on winning in Fort Worth. A 36-yard strike. Right. Ewers from the Expecting the uh, that was the that was the play of the game. That was the play of the game. We'll mm. call that the Viking fence play of the game, Rod. Yeah. That was the incredible uh, A.D. Mitchell 35-yard catch, that the body amazing. control on oh. third down. If the Longhorns have to punt again, Sonny Dyke said after the game that they felt if they got that stop, they were going to go score a touchdown, not kick a field goal. I, very, <laughs> I agree. I, I, don't, I, don't I don't disagree with that at all. No, I'm with you. Yeah, yeah we weren't going to try to kick a field goal. Well, we've had a couple of those, right, uh, because in that U of H game, Dana Hogan was thinking the same thing. Going for two. And then look what Chris Kleiman did. He's like, hell no, nah, we're going for it. And the so I guess, stopped it. I guess Texas, teams against Texas feel like uh, I may be running out of time here. While I, while, while we're hot now, because this team dominated. Because those those are games where Texas dominated those teams, had twenty something point leads, and they came back. So they probably felt, nah, man, I'm pretty lucky to be in this damn thing. So I'm going to win it right now while we have the momentum. I'm not gonna let Texas get it back. Because yeah. they make clutch plays, I'm not gonna let them make a clutch play. And before they could have their, you know, have their uh, their game winner, Texas made a game winning play before well, that. Well, and the Viking fans' defensive play of the game obviously was the uh, Jordan Whittington uh, strip oh, sack after the interception. So goodness. Quinn Ewers, you know, one of the few wow. bad passes. You know, Quinn Ewers came out in this game and uh, was a little rusty. Right, first down, first drive, he threw it behind Xavier Worthy on a little third and short that should have gone for a first down. Uh, a little rusty coming off the injury, but then man, he got in a groove. And he was locked in, and he ended up at halftime with over 250 passing yards, and you thought he was on his way to a big day. Uh, we wonder, Rod, if there was something, because uh, if, if you remember, you and I were doing the in-game watch mm -hmm. on Inside Texas, the watch-along, and Quinn Ewers went to the locker room before the rest of the team. Yep. Um, did something happen? I mean, we were speculating, you know, is he just getting ahead of the, you know, he's got to go to the bathroom or something, just get to the locker room. Uh, then they came out in the second half, and they threw a little bit early in the third quarter. And then they pretty much abandoned the passing game. And there's a debate whether that was Sark taking his foot off the gas and going all gas, no, you know, all breaks, uh, but trying to save his defense, which was getting shredded a little bit by TCU at that point, or something, you know, I want to say re-injured, but the, the, things like that, Rod, you played with injuries, it can re-aggravate. Yeah. Where you can still play, but you're not 100%. Yeah. And, and you're a, lesser than you were when the game began. No, that could be a pain tolerance issue. Um, as you go throughout the game, you know, you take hill hits here and there. Um, you know, it gets, uh, it gets tighter. Whatever the injury is, gets a little bit tighter throughout the game because it's real loose to start the game, yeah. um, and that could play a role. It gets weaker because when things are injured, you know, the strength overall of the tendons and everything around it, it could just get wear down after, you know, two and a half, three quarters. It's just wear, just wear it down. That could be, so it could be, a, it could be a number of things or just a combination of those things. I, I do think it did have something to do with Quinn's status. As to why they because I, I, look, I agree with fans that are saying, well, why didn't he, you know, he could have put up 400 yards and something would tell me that something was wrong. And there was one play right before yeah. the half, Rod. 
There was it. Remember when they the throwaway, the throwaway, the throwaway. Yeah. I remember. I saw it. It, it, ducked, it ducked on him, and I was like, "What? It looked like that." Yeah, <laughs> like like he he took a snap and he dropped the ball, mm-hmm. and it was supposed to be a quick pass to Xavier Worthy right out in one of those little quick screens, and he dropped it. And as he picked it up, he 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 just was trying to get rid of the ball so he didn't get sacked, mm-hmm. and he he tried to you know do it all arm. Not yeah. he didn't get his body into it. And he just did all arm, and he threw it over Xavier Worthy's head essentially just to get it out of bounds uh, and, and not take the sack or a negative play. You wonder if that was the one where the arm he, – because he, he, he didn't put much body into that throw rod. Uh, it was it, mostly arm. Yeah, I guess it could have it been. And that's the next thing you know, we see him walk into the locker room. I wonder if Sark is even going to admit that it could have – something did happen at all or if he'll just say, you know. I, I think he'll probably play pretty coy about it. I don't know if he'll admit a re-injury to his quarterback. Yeah, especially after. No, you don't want to. <coughs> I'm just yeah. that, and he, you know, he may never admit it, and if he, he shouldn't. No. I mean, because you yeah, don't. remember he didn't want to, he didn't want to admit what play, initially that Quinn got injured on. Remember he's like, y'all figure it out. Y'all figure it <laughs> out. He's like, what play was it? He's like, y'all figure it out. Yeah. So there's no way he's gonna admit it. Yeah, and there's hip stuff there too. You got to be careful with injuries and medical for other people. I think he was thinking that, that Quinn could tell you when you talk to him. But either way, uh, so yes, and then, then then look, then you were trying to run, you're trying to get out of there with a W, and I know it became frustrating. But obviously the play of the game came to Ad Mitchell. And needed one pass, and he was still able to make that pass. And A.D. Mitchell made a hell of a play. Uh, you know, they got man coverage. Um, you know, they bracketed Xavier Worthy in that spot. Needed one first down. And A.D. Mitchell, as he has all year, what a clutch player, man. Came up clutch in the national championship game last year against TCU. He's a clutch performer. What a pickup. Maybe the best, you know, portal pickup in the country this year, Rod, is yeah. A.D. Mitchell for what he's brought to Texas. Yeah. Now, I can't believe they were in man coverage again. And then an aggressive man. I mean, they were playing aggressive man, either sitting on routes or playing press man uh, against Texas. And in that situation, was a third and 12, I believe. That was a risky proposition um, for TCU. And Texas made him pay. And it wasn't a great throw. Quinn just gave his guy a chance with the throw. Um, And that's all you could ask for. Don't overthrow him. Give your guy a chance. They'll go up and make a play. And the adjustment by D. Mitchell was superb. Superb at the NFL level. That'll be an NFL draft highlight reel. That'll be on there, no question about it. (laughs) And he's done it. He's done it so many times this year, guys. He makes that adjustment with elite body control and makes it look effortless. He did in the Bama game. We saw one of those plays he did it with. He did earlier in that game with the touchdown catch, actually. Yes, he did. Was able to swivel his hips and just adjust his body, Cirque du Soleil style. He's got just unbelievable body control for a receiver. Yeah. He does, and he's been huge. I mean, Xavier Worthy is a go-to. And uh, I thought J.T. Sanders made some big catches in that game, too, especially on third downs and that first-half drive that uh, the Longhorns went down and took, a, took you know, extended their lead. Uh, so, yeah, it's good to see. But, yes, cl- clearly something was not as it was. And uh, then that had to ma- navigate and manage. Because we've gotten this several times, and let's tap the brakes. This says, Jimbo, this says Sark's play calling ruined Jonathan Brooks' career. I mean, you guys, that is completely um, unfair. Well, hold up. Why, He's trying why, to run the why, ball. Why would, it, why, would, why would it ruin his career? I, I, I don't know. We keep getting that. Well, because he, he stopped throwing, and they tried to ground it out, and he got hurt. Some people are mad he didn't grind, he didn't grind it out more and, <laughs> and take more time on the clock. And so I said, I we have two people. That's we just have, angry fans. Yes, we have people upset that Sark's not aggressive enough. Uh, then we got fans uh, mad at Sark because he's too aggressive. I just think Sark's feel of the game may be a little bit off, but I, yeah, I'm not going to go as far as to say that his play calling ruined Jonathan Brooks. I mean, his play call, his faith in Jonathan Brooks. Remember, Jonathan Brooks didn't even start, guys, first two games of the season. Yeah. <laughs> he didn't even start. C.J. Baxter won the starting job. Uh, and then Jonathan Brooks ends up, you know, having a, breakout campaign um, and Sark has a lot of trust in him and we were just talking about this think about it. he remember he dropped two touchdown passes early in the season yeah and Sark kept throwing to him 
So I kept throwing to him. Yes, he did. He's like, nah, nah, you got it. He had one against Alabama. He had one against Rice. Yes, he yes. Let get it through his hands. And then everybody kept saying, oh, quit throwing the ball. So I was like, no, we'll keep throwing had, the ball. He had 22 carries it, for 116 yards uh, in the game. I don't think yeah. that's ruining someone's career. And he ends up with, uh, on the season, I think 180. Shout out to my man Nash. He put this out there, 287 carries for 1,139 yards uh, through the first 10 games, over six yards per carry and 10 touchdowns. Guys, Bijan Robinson threw 10 games was at 204 carries, 1,158 yards, and 5.7 yards per rush, and 12 touchdowns. 19 receptions for Bijan, 25 for Jonathan Brooks. I mean, he was really eerily close to what Bijan was doing, if not better in some respects. So I don't know if – I think Sark is making him money. <laughs> yeah. He was the number one running back coming off the board by Pro Football Focus and the Doak Walker Look, the, the or stems, front runner. This stems, <laughs> uh, a message like that, and we've gotten it several times, comes Make from an angry bread. fan who you know, saw Sh- Quinn shredding them in the first half, and they didn't throw it as much in the second, and they were leaning on the running game. And we just talked about it. I think Quinn was not 100%, and mm-hmm. I think they were trying to manage that way out of the game and keep their defense off the field defense because their defense was getting, getting gassed yeah. against a tempo offense that started to find their rhythm and find their groove. and. You know, Monty Bailey started to run the ball. Uh, they couldn't cover the kid three. Savion, uh, uh, what's the? Oh, Savion Williams. Savion Ooh, Williams. He was awesome in that he game. He was awesome. My NFL so, scouts were just like salivating on that. It, this is where I'll go the other way and give Sark credit. Sark managed a game to try to, you know, okay, guys, we need to complete one ball and we get out of here with a win. And they dialed up the right play, and they got out of there with a win. I mean, at this yeah. point, that's what it is. That's survive in advance. Is it is uh, mm-hmm. as as you know eye-pleasing as you want it to be. Look, you're dealing with it. And, and think about that, Rod, after the, 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 the Jonathan Brooks injury because you knew pretty quickly that was not good. Like you weren't going to have him the rest yeah, of the night for that night. Good. Yep, no doubt. And in the end, this is what the, will be the ongoing discussion. Who becomes the workhorse <laughs> running back? C.J. Baxter was over nine yards of carry in that game. Uh, I th- no, he wasn't. That was no. that was K-State game that yeah. I was looking at. Uh, but he did grind you out some yards. He, he's going to become important to get first-team reps. C.J. Baxter, uh, yeah, he had 18 for 61. Is it going to be uh, – do you think it's C.J. Baxter and do you think, who, who's the big step-up guy? Is it Jaden Blue? I think Jaden Blue's got to be that guy because we don't know what's going on with Keenan Robinson at this point, right? He, he wasn't available in the last game, so we're not sure about that. Um, and, you know, I, I think Jaden Blue provides you with an explosive element. Now, the thing is Jaden Blue is not a running back that can run, you know, the, your full complement of run plays. We got into this issue in the bowl game against Washington where Sark stubbornly – wanted to run the same place he ran with Bijan and Rojo with Keelan Robinson and thought, yeah, they'll work. No, they won't. <laughs> those guys can run almost any play, any rushing play you, uh, that you have in your playbook at a really high level. Not all running backs can do this. Jaden Bull's the guy you want to get on the perimeter, and you want him to get the ball going downhill on the perimeter, right, on the edges. That's where he hurts teams. That's where he gets his, his, uh, his burst, and he has uh, explosivity. You want to get him on the edge. You don't necessarily want him running in between the tackles. Well, that's going to be C.J. Baxter. That's going to be C.J. Baxter. Exactly, right? So I just think Sark's got to figure out exactly what the, the – the the best traits of each of these running backs are and then use them accordingly. But if he's stubborn about it and just, like I said, run the same plays he would run with Jay Brooks with these other backs, then he's probably going to run into the same issue he ran into in that bowl game where he, he thought Keely Robinson could be a main course running back when that was just not going to work. Hey, they're 9-1 to join yeah, this yeah. team because yeah. uh, I understand frustration, but at the same time, I know. You, you, beat that, you beat that TCU team three times in the last 11 matchups. You got out of there with a victory. Uh, you, you know, might have taken building a 20-point lead to hold on to get it, but at the same time, you're still 9-1. You're alone atop the Big 12. You still control your destiny. A lot to like, despite <coughs> excuse me, the injury. All right, we're coming back. We'll hit the little uh, bullish or BS on a Monday. It took him up with Ian Rod B. Aaron Hogan. 
Rod Babers. Hook em up. 1019 AM 1260. The Horn. All right, yeah, Longhorns, uh, good, bad, and ugly. Good. They're 9 and 1. They're number 7 in the country. They're sitting atop the Big 12 with two to play. So all their goals in front of them. And the bad is the injury, the ugly injury to Jonathan Brooks. Uh, which you hate to see, and it's uh, not lost that it was going into this game that Sark yep. said we're as healthy as we've been all year. And we talked last week, Rod, that it's crazy. they had not suffered all the injuries they had suffered. None had been a season ender. They had been, uh, you know, they three been weeks here, a month here. Yeah. They've been very fortunate, and mm-hmm. now you take one at a critical spot, maybe the MVP of your offense for this season, and you're going to have to, you know, next man up. Headed to Iowa State, which we'll start turning our attention to. Also, the Jimbo Fisher news down at College Station came in, apparently from a Board of Regents gathering on Thursday is where the momentum for this move came, that it was time to get ahead of this move mid-November. You've got a recruiting class to protect. You've got – you know, portal opening it up. Uh, Need to get that guy in place. If indeed you're going to do it, do it now. Uh, Get ahead of – yeah, well, um, if it's if it's inevitable, make it immediate, right? Yeah. Why why are we waiting around? I'm and, bullish on that, Rod. Yeah, all the Aggies are like, oh, it's it's inevitable. They're going to end up firing. Yeah, them. So don't That's wait like, till the end because we know that <laughs> the clock is ticking once the season's over. It's already ticking now with recruiting classes, but with portals and signing day on December the twentieth, uh, you've got to have somebody in place. Yep. So those conversations will be had. Can I play you something? Ty, did you find this? This is pretty funny. Uh, the, in, in, you know, not to kick a rival while they're down, but uh, here's a little, little – this might make you laugh, Rod, because I know you're a fan of this. But uh, here is uh, a parting shot with Jimbo Fisher. Some people think they're God. We built him up to be the czar of football. Go dig into his past. You can find out anything you want to find out. And it's despicable. My dad always told me this. When people show you who they are, believe them. We're done. And, uh, he shows you who he is. He's the greatest <laughs> ever, huh? When you got all the advantages, uh-huh. it's easy. Because we do things right, we're always going to do things right. But we're, not, we're always going to be here. <laughs> we're always going to be here. We're always going to be here. Hey. I'm going to pop it off on Nick Saban, who has his team playing as good as any team in the country right now. Getting better, and uh, he is the greatest ever there, Jimbo. The Aggies, hey, for a while, though, think about this. This this is how you know it did for a while. There were these fleeting moments where it it did work out for the Aggies because that story had them as the the most talked about, like, college football program in the country at the time, right? Because he was beefing. He's basically – we talk about this pettiness thing in sports, kind of taking over sports where coaches and players talking trash to each other. That was one of the starts of it. That was one of the biggest ever. Right? He basically Those two guys calling he, press he conferences basically took to a attack shot. each yeah, other. Yeah, he took a <laughs> shot at Nick Saban. Nick Saban took a shot at him. The Aggies, usually we wouldn't be talking about the Aggies in respect to being a uh, any kind of rival of Alabama. But in that moment, Jimbo made them relevant. Against well, that, 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 that moment that conversation. between Jimbo and Nick Saban in the spring. Yeah. When Nick Saban went to that booster rally and, you know, called out Nick Saban, said Jimbo played for his whole recruiting class. You, you, were, in, you were in Nick Saban's head. You think about it, Nick Saban was thinking about you. That's how you know you were making some noise because Nick Saban was freaking out, paranoid about this, the Aggies. To for me, a this is the, the flaw of Jimbo. Well, there's plenty of flaws to Jimbo Fisher. Yeah. But he, <laughs> called, he called a news conference for the next morning to come out and say all those things. Yeah. Dude, you're in his head. You're in his head. Let, you it, be. let it go. Let it be. You should just let it go. You should let it go. You know, and then, of course, coaches all over the country go, is this happening? Is this for real? These two guys are doing this in public, in the public sphere? Okay, it's on. Well, obviously, Nick Saban's still on top, and uh, 
Jimbo Fisher is now. But like out. I said, I appreciate. Listen, Aggies, he made you relevant, all right? Even when, you know, like I said, you may not have necessarily been yeah. winning a lot of games, but he did make them relevant in the conversation. People were talking about the Aggies. Well, now you, can, now you have to find a coach you relevant on the football field yeah. and build the culture. and He did for a while. That becomes Just not next. consistently. He did, he did for a minute. Hey, Ty, Rod, in our bullish and BS, is there, is there a candidate for the Aggies that you're bullish on? I know that you are concerned that if they hire Jeff Trailer, Rod, as a yeah. Longhorn fan. I think Jeff Trailer is uh, – he's the right hire for them. I mean, they, I think that would be the right – that would be the guy that I'd, I'd go for if I was an Aggie. Um, as a Longhorn, that's why – I don't want them to hire. <laughs> did y'all did, did see the report ahead, about Dan Campbell? Dan Campbell, uh, them looking at him. I don't think he would ever leave the NFL to go coach the Aggies, but obviously there is no. the the connection there. That would be yeah, scary. Go to A&M. He won't. He won't leave. He won't leave the NFL. He's an yeah, yeah, no. <laughs> no, and he just no. says has no experience coaching college. No, Doesn't mean he can't. Happen, yeah. But that becomes on the job training to learn the recruiting side and all yeah. the all that goes with that. There's just two different jobs. Yeah, it's two different sports. Yeah, it really opinion. is. Yeah, uh, so I don't know if he's going to do that. It's a good 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 name to bring up though. They is, should call him. That is the Aggies got enough money. They should call everybody because everybody will take their call because the Aggies got enough money. If they can't money whip somebody, they'll at least help them get a race. In the NIL space, they're going to do fine, too, right? That's where oh, you kind of yeah. want a job where you've got the resources, you've got NIL backing, you've got fertile recruiting grounds, which, of course, A&M is surrounded by in Houston and Dallas and the whole state of Texas. The question is, will they try to money whip Dion? Will, will they, do they think that's a fit? Because nobody thinks it's the right fit. But, but do you think Dion would come? I don't know that Dion would leave Colorado for this one and not wait for something more no, fitting I, oh, I don't know. back in the state of Florida. Yeah, I, was saying, I, I don't know. I'm just talking about the Aggies. Billy Napier may be out, too. I'm talking about the Aggies list, though. The Aggies list. I wonder if they oh, will. Yeah, well, yeah, but I, I think of it as, okay, you, got, you can call Dan Lanning, but I don't think Dan Lanning's leaving. Um, but you can call Deion Sanders, but I think Deion, Deion's more likely to jump to Florida if they move, give up on Billy Napier here, which they could do. But the, like I said, the Aggies will throw a lot of money. The Aggies will probably throw more money at Deion than somebody else would. That's for sure. I, this might be my personal bias. He would, he would spend an afternoon in College Station and be like, yeah, no. Uh, some people said that about Colorado, though, because Colorado, in terms of Colorado's ethnicity, in terms of urban culture, trust me, I visited there, and I've been to Colorado a lot at Boulder. It's not that kind of spot. Oh. <laughs> but it's a little more politically diverse. Yeah, no, no, it's progressive. It's yeah. progressive, yeah. It's not as conservative as Aggieland, but a lot of people didn't picture Dion there. They thought Dion would go to someone, someplace that's a little bit more cooler. All right? Uh, you know what I mean? But no, that's – no, Dion, Dion was fine there. Dion made it work. So I'm not saying Dion fits in Aggieland. A lot of people didn't think he necessarily fit in Boulder either. And he's fitting. He's I, thought, fitting. I thought actually my head was it was a good fit for him, but just because he can – He's a rock star, but I still know College Station. Maybe that's that's my own bias. He has a rock star everywhere, though. I would say, <laughs> you gotta yeah, live in College Station. You, just, you, you do. Jimbo, yeah. Jimbo kind of fit College Station. Yeah, I mean, bottom himself a ranch. And Dion, the other Cowboys coaching too. in Jackson State. You'll be coaching Aggie Land. That's true. That's true. <laughs> they didn't even have clean water. That's true. <laughs> Stealing stuff out of his locker room. Exactly. <laughs> oh, and by the way, speaking of Dan Campbell, who may be on that list, how about his move yesterday on fourth down and a tie game goes for it goes for it about midfield secure his team a new set of downs and they went on and kicked the game-winning field goal dan campbell wow. major cojones yeah bullish on it. that you damn right he is yeah against brandon staley who always goes for it a crazy fourth downs right in his face jared goff completed it to the rookie tight end laporta he might be the next to go staley he's got too much talent to be as bad as they are exactly but the, the lions <laughs> are seven and two 
Ooh. Don't look now. Josh Dobbs won again for the Vikings, Rod. They're one game back. That is wild that that's They're two games back. That's crazy that that is a thing. You yeah. don't even know all the teammates' names yet. He's already He's 2-0 as a starter. <laughs> and that team, you know, the Vikings after a 1-4 starter, 6-4. They look good, man. They're hot right now. Cowboys are hot. C.J. Stroud is hot. We're talking NFL, college football. Who's going to be the new coach at A&M? And the Longhorns are sitting at number seven in the country. I took him up with Ian Rodby.